Hello there, I'm Julie Vadnall, Deputy Editor of Domino, and this is Design Time, The Rebellious Ones. If you've listened to this podcast before, you know that we interviewed some of the biggest names in interior design. But this season, I'm doing things a little differently. I'm gonna be talking to rebels, the -the out-of-the-box thinkers who put their creative stamps on our world, whether they work in design, fashion, or even food. After all, you don't have to paint a room all black to be a rebel, though I think that'd be super cool. Some of us engage in tiny acts of resistance every day, and that counts too. Each week, I'll talk to a new guest, a rebellious one, if you will, about how they turn off the doubting voices in their heads and how you can find your only you style. Let's do this. My guests today, yes, there are two, are some of my favorite people on the internet. She is the head of fashion partnerships at Instagram, and before that, she was the editor-in-chief of Lucky Magazine. She's also a children's book author. Her first book, Juno Valentine and the Magical Shoes, taught my nieces who Lady Gaga is, so thank you for that. She is joined by her husband, a creative director and entrepreneur who launched truly the most delicious granola, which had a 17 thousand person waiting list when it launched. I've tried it. It's fantastic. I was lucky enough to try three different flavors. So I really got to compare together with their three children. They split their time between New York City and their charming upstate cottage. Please welcome to Design Time, the rebellious ones, Eva Chen and Tom Bannister. Welcome, guys. Hey, how are you? Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, thank you, Julie. Great to meet. I'm very excited to meet you guys, too. The first thing we do with every guest is we ask them to fill out this sentence so you guys can do it one at a time. You're going to say, hi, I'm your name, and I am a rebel blank. You want to go first? Yeah. Hey, I am Tom Bannister. I am a rebel explorer. I love to explore new things, new creative ideas. Hi, I'm Eva Chen, and I would say that I am a rebel mom, making my own rules around parenting and life. Well, I wanted to know how you guys describe your jobs to strangers. Like, let's say you're at a parent-teacher conference, you're meeting someone for the first time. Like, what do you guys say that you do? Well, I say I'm a creative director, work in advertising with a side love of granola. I've spent my entire career in the creative arts. I was a producer for 15 years before becoming a creative director. So I've really always been in that kind of storytelling world, content creation world, video production. So really kind of working at a nexus of those those different industries. I would say that I work in fashion and tech and write children's books as well as dabbling in as many things as possible at any given time. See, those seem like very rebellious careers to me. I think anyone can be a rebel in their own field. And I think it's about having their own voice and using their platform for good. I certainly think Tom is definitely a rebel granola king. I mean, you've always kind of been a rebel granola king. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a good point. When I do look back on my professional life 20 years, that is a kind of through line of it, which is kind of unusual, slightly crazy, slightly offbeat ideas and pursuing those wherever they lead. So I think the granola is a great example. I've always loved granola, but kind of launching a brand and doing it during the pandemic and doing it in this social media way was definitely following a train of thought, an odd idea. But when I look back on my career before then, it's really all about that, kind of finding some odd inspiration somewhere, some new world, some new culture, something that just attracts you or draws you to it. And then following that ball of thread wherever it leads. And that's kind of what I've done for the last 20 years. I now know what to get Tom for Christmas. I'm going to get him a ball of thread. Get ready. Spoiler (laughs) alert. That's what you're getting for Christmas. 
When I think about you guys, though, I consider you guys to be rebellious. I feel like, Eva, your career has really swerved in some ways. And Tom, you wear gym shoes to the beach. So that, to me, seems very rebellious. Oh, my God. That is like my worst nightmare is when every time I see a pair of New Balances accruing and accumulating sand at the beach, like my entire brain explodes. But the point of me bringing that up was that I think that you guys are rebels, but do you consider yourselves rebels? I feel like one of the things that drew us to each other, I guess, is we're both really curious and like to try new things and travel and see the world through fresh eyes. And I think that's one of the most amazing thing about being a parent is that you get to experience the world through your kids' eyes. The joy that our kids have about like the smallest, most prosaic or mundane things to us is it's kind of amazing. So I don't know if that's rebellious or just kind of trying to see the wonder in the world. Yeah, I think what drew us together is we both knew we didn't want to follow a conventional path. Certainly when we were in college, a lot of people were pursuing that path. And I think we both knew by like 21, 22, that that wasn't what we wanted to do with our lives. So I definitely think that was a strong commonality we had. Compared to the people at college, I think definitely we're more on the rebellious side, but there are plenty of people out there much more rebellious than us. One thing I've learned from doing this podcast is that being a rebel is kind of relative. It's all within a context. But like I said, I think that you guys definitely qualify. And with the granola, tell me a little bit about how you started this and the framework for it, because it is based on feedback from your audience, which to me seems very scary to do. Tom and I have been together 20 years and from the very beginning, he's always loved granola. I remember when we would travel, we would go to like all-you-can-eat buffets at the most beautiful decadent like hotels in Asia. And I would like go ham, literally would have like four omelets, like three plates of exotic fruits, like, you know, whatever specialty, like hand-pulled noodles. There's a really good breakfast buffet in Korea at the hotel called the Shilla. And I still dream about it. (laughs) And then Tom would literally just get the teeniest bowl of yogurt and like a heaping of granola, which infuriated me because to me, that is very bad buffet economics. And so it became this kind of like ongoing joke over our 20 years together where anytime one of us went anywhere, we would buy the local granola, we would bring it back. And over the last five years, Tom started having very strong opinions about granola where he would be like, "Mm, you know, like the viscosity of this crumble, you know, and speaking about it in very (laughs) specific, like intellectual terms. And so he started, you know, doing these like Tom talks, which is obviously a riff on TED talks where he would literally like sit with a cup of granola, swirl it, crumble it through his hands and talk very deeply about granola. And during COVID, when we were all locked in our New York City apartment together with at the time, two young kids and the selection of granola lacking just because like everything was closed and, you know, we weren't traveling. I think Tommy started thinking, well, I started haranguing you about making your own granola, (laughs) mostly because I got sick of hearing about how every other granola in the market was like, just not that good. (laughs) And so it was very much trial and error, Tom. Like what we had a lot of foibles, you had a lot of learnings. I think you literally didn't even know what parchment paper was when you started your granola making process. Yeah, may have heard of parchment paper, but there were a lot of there were a lot of things I didn't know about. But yeah, it started off with me reviewing granola and then making it, initially burning it, and then gradually learning how to do it. And then ultimately, when the pandemic rolled around, putting up a waitlist and getting seventeen thousand people. But it was a kind of aha moment for me in that I hadn't fully thought through what it meant. So I was just getting so many DMs whenever I made a recipe with suggestions and. 
And I kind of realized in that process, wow, these are, you know, there's a lot of people who could help me do this and help me learn. Gigi Hadid. Yeah, we've been really lucky to have support and kind of embracing the granola. And it's been so amazing to see the reception of the granola and people reaching out to Tom directly to say like how much they love it. It's hard. You feel vulnerable. You're opening yourself up to criticism. But it's been so fun to see what people come back to Tom with and the scorecards and sharing and they're showing pictures of themselves like on mountains eating it and cities eating it <laughs> like you know on the road on road trips it's just kind of great to see and that real-time market research has been awesome but also getting feedback good and bad I think has been good yeah I think you see it on your network as well where you sometimes ask a question about gardening for example how, oh, do, how do I do this and you don't kind of fully appreciate just how valuable it is until you start getting all of that feedback. And I, for me, like I realized in doing this and going on this journey, how many other people felt similarly about granola. Like they loved it. They had opinions on it. They hadn't found the perfect granola, had all of these thoughts and interest in it. And in doing this, we kind of discovered those people, like whether they're celebrities or whether they're not from all walks of life. That, that's mm. kind of what we discovered in this process. Mm. You brought up the house, which I do want to talk about because that is a major project. And especially when you go from living in Manhattan, and we all know what Manhattan apartments are like in terms of size, to a whole house and property with room for a garden. Like, how did you guys even wrap your minds around that project? Like, where did you start? I'm a native New Yorker. I spent my whole life in New York. And I'm a first-generation American. Like on the weekends, I would go to my parents' work and help them. And we never had this culture of like leaving the city on the weekends outside of going to like Flushing, Queens to buy groceries. And what I would say that changed is when we had our second child, Tao, our two-bedroom apartment started feeling very oppressive. When you have kids, it's like you have the Fisher Price jumper room in one corner, then you have the play mat in another corner, then you have like, you know, the scooter in this corner, and then you have like it's just like you feel like your whole apartment is being consumed by stuff. Mm -hmm. And so we started kind of thinking of like it'd just be so great to have like space and to breathe. And, you know, Tom grew up not in a city and your family's like super outdoorsy, like hikes on the weekends. And so we started thinking about it very abstractly, but not like in an active way. What changed is we went to a hotel called Troutbeck for the weekend. It's in Amenia. It's like super charming. We were like, oh my gosh, we love this area. It felt kind of isolated in a way. And it felt kind of charming and magical, like this like haven in the woods. And so we both knew we wanted something that really offered respite from city feelings. We like quiet time. When Tom and I met, we used to go on dates where we would each bring a book and sit and read together. We're both like really avid readers. We had been to the Hamptons a lot because we have a lot of friends, you know, who are renting or buying there. And so we wanted something that felt quite different from that in a way, something that where it's just like just us and family time. And so that's kind of how it all came about. We were taking the train up to this area, Millerton, Amenia, Millbrook, to kind of look for properties. And we found this house and Tom was always very focused on the outdoor aspect of the house. He really wanted the stream or a pond, whereas all I kind of looked at was like the structure of the house, the flow of the house, like where would people gather? Where would people eat? Where would people read together? Like, And so we kind of looked at it from those perspectives. And it's been this amazing adventure. We partnered with this company called Hendricks Churchill, but they were known in like kind of the upstate New York and Litchfield area. And I mean, Heidi and Rafe just 
really understood the aesthetic. I don't think people say they understood the assignment anymore, but they really understood the assignment <laughs> of like, we wanted something that felt lived in and not this pristine, new kind of everything super shiny. We wanted this is my favorite word, patina. The word of 2020 was patina. I just wanted things that would have, like I wanted faucets that would like actually look good with water spots on them. I wanted furniture that would get comfier and like schlumpier with age, but in a good way. So I feel like doing this house, I just learned so much from Hendrix Churchill that it's been this like just amazing experience. One of the things you mentioned was the word patina. And I noticed that even though you have three kids now, the house feels still very elegant. You have a Bellini sofa. How did you balance keeping everything elegant and adult and doing the things you wanted to do to the house, but also being realistic of like, we have three kids who drink juice everywhere. They're gradually breaking No, they're, they're gradually <laughs> breaking everything. We used mostly outdoor fabrics. And so literally when I was like, Heidi would come to me and be like, look at this beautiful, white, pristine linen. And I literally would be like, nope, nope. stop. And she was like, here's the outdoor version of it. And literally like, you know, hail can fall on it. And it could be the end of days, the day after tomorrow yeah, yeah. style <laughs> where like cows are swirling. And I'm like, okay, great. That sounds more the speed of my family. We bought a lot of like vintage pieces that already felt kind of broken in. And so there was this, I feel almost like a cliche saying mid-century modern, but there was this mid-century modern table that I loved. And there was one version that was like, still in a box, never opened since like blah, blah, blah. And then there was a version where it was like the border was falling off and like the leather top was scratched and the drawer was a little bit wonky. And I was like, I will take that one <laughs> and fix it up a little just because I knew that our kids would use it to build pillow forts. And it's like, I try to be really conscious of the fact that this is like a stage in their lives. Mm -hmm. They're not always going to want to build pillow forts. And I don't, it's kind of depressing. And I always say this to Tom that where it's like, we have to try to enjoy this kind of like messy train wreck age because like, you know, in three years, Ren's going to want to be hanging out with her best friend in a bedroom, ignoring us. It's like, it's fleeting. And so durability, but also acceptance of the destruction of your stuff. Yeah, I was actually just talking with someone who said that a lot of parents think that they have to buy something very cheap and disposable while they have kids because will get ruined. But they said, in fact, you should do what you guys have done and buy things in outdoor fabrics or umbrella that like just can be easily cleaned and will last longer. So bravo, I guess. Yeah, I generally like I worked at Lucky, which was like all about high-low. I remember I assisted a stylist and she would always say like, when something's good, something's good. And so I've always ascribed to the mentality where it's like, it can be inexpensive, but like super love it and treat it like it's an heirloom and it'll last, you know? And I have tank tops from Gap that I've worn for like six years, seven years. Like you can wear things over and over. And so I, I do feel that way about furniture too. You can buy something inexpensive and love it. It's an heirloom piece. But I don't think people should buy things with the express purpose of throwing it out. That's kind of depressing. At the very least, if you buy something and you're like, okay, we're only going to yeah. use this for like six months, like find a family that is at that phase like that you just exited to like give it to you. subscribe to one of those like Facebook groups. I think there's, they're called like spend nothing Facebook groups, which I'm like a member of many mm -hmm. just because I like looking, but Put it on Facebook Marketplace. Someone will take it. Like someone 100% will take it and use it and love it. 
in the area that we're in, there's what they call the transfer station, which is really where you go to dispose of like your recycling and garbage. They have a swap shop and it's like amazing. My favorite thing to do, but it's like, we got this amazing, probably 1970s, like rolly wheel, jingle ball, bell toy for river. (laughs) And it's like, he loves it. He loves it. And it's like, it's just so much better when you, you can do stuff like that. And then when he's done with it, if I don't give it to like you know, one of the cornucopia of other babies that we have in our family and friend circles, it'll go back there and it'll live a second life, which is really nice. Well, you also are kind of an amazing estate sales shopper. Like I know you found chairs for like $5. Yes. Oh my gosh. So when we first moved into this house, I went through this phase of like literally every day looking for estate sales. And then I would like screen grab and then zoom in on the pictures to see if there's anything worth (laughs) finding. And we have this chair that, you know, we bought for $5 and then like Heidi and I reupholstered it. And then someone was sending me similar ones that went for like $900 or $1,000. I just, I do feel like if something's good, look beyond the price tag and just look to see if it feels so kind of like obnoxious saying like the right bones, but like, just see if it has like, like if you like the structure of it and just be open-minded, kind of squint your eyes and picture it with like different upholstery, different fabrics with like a cute little throw on top of it. Facebook Marketplace was very much my friend when I was like decorating. I also found first edition Harry Potters on there for like nothing in my local area. Wow. Looking for magic in unexpected places is really important. Mm -hmm. And Tom was really involved in the art of the house. Like he has very strong opinions about what we hang on our walls, especially in particular that one giant, it's like by Ali Belatic, right? That huge yellow it's like a huge painting that we got from that uh, website, Tappan Collective. And Tom that. was like, Tappan is like so great. And so Tom was like looking at Tappan Collective and he was kind of like, as per usual, taking his laptop and like hurling it in my face while I was like trying to like focus and eat, which is take eating very seriously. Yeah, and I'm noticing like, a trend here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he was like, what do you think about this? And I was like, great, great, great. And like, you know, what it looks like on a desktop is this like tiny little thumbnail. Mm-hmm. And it took three attempts to deliver this painting because the first member, they like brought it on one of those huge like semi trucks and like it literally would not fit down our road. Yeah, the road is a little pebbly. And they couldn't so. turn down the road because it was too narrow. Like the truck literally couldn't like make oh, that turn. No. And so then they had to like take it back to the factory and then move into a smaller truck and this truck was still too small. And so we've definitely had moments like that. Like we have like this um, kitchen island kind of table, work table from plain English. It's made out of one ginormous piece of wood and weighed 1,400 pounds. And they sent like one delivery guy. And Tom was like, I we mean- We managed if, to get it in. Yeah, even if we <laughs> want to ever move it or change it, which we're not, like we, we're not gonna be able to. You guys are giving such good tips for A, art, B, kitchen cabinets and kitchen furniture because our readers are obsessed with that. So you guys are just dropping crumbs of knowledge that people are going to be eating up. Granola crumbs of knowledge. (laughs) It seems like you guys are new to gardening, at least to growing food. So I kind of want to hear the newbie tips. We're new to DIY gardening, owning a home. Like it's We're new to everything, (laughs) like basically. And so like when you were asking earlier about like, what is the what kind of rebel are you? It's just like, we're basically rebel DIY people. We have no idea what we're doing. And so we spent 15 years. We never really left New York until, you know, the odd holiday and coming here. So we, you mm-hmm. know, we spent 15 summers in a row in New York city before last summer, 
Yeah. And we never really watched, you know, like all the HGTV shows. So with the gardening, I think with the raised beds, it just felt like something that would be fun to do. I think having part of it was like, we have kids who are very selective about what they eat. It's super galling trying to get them to eat a carrot or like a cucumber. And so I was like, oh, like Tao in particular, our, our middle son, like he loves the outdoors. He loves nature. He's very like, he loves learning about how things work. And so down to like, how is soil made? How do earthworms help improve soil? I really thought it would just be a fun project. And so I think one of the things that spurred it, I actually was visiting Ami Song, Song of Style. And so I was in LA for festival and she had just had her baby. So I stopped by and she had these amazing raised garden beds. And I was oh, like, I always thought gardening was something that was like super, you had to like dig in the earth and then figure out the right sunspot. Then I was like, oh, you could literally just buy a giant box, fill it with soil and put it anywhere. I know that sounds like ridiculous that I didn't realize that. But again, like Tom and I lived in cities. I started researching it. I put it, I think I did an Instagram story. That's like, who are, like, how do you learn about gardening? And so I started following this account, Epic Gardening, who's a guy in California. He's like crazy enthusiastic about everything gardening. So he'll literally be like, look at this tomato, look at this beautiful tomato. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like he's so excited. It's infectious. And then my friend, Alexis Brian Morgan, who worked with me at Lucky as the fashion director, who's this great kitchen gardener. She lives in Westchester and I started following her and she's like really down to earth. She does really good reels because it's like reels are so good to learn things on Mm -hmm. reels. And so she was doing reels about how to prune a tomato. So I started following her and then I was like, wait, she's literally like an hour away from me. So I DM'd her and said like, I'm looking for a tutor that I can hire to literally, I want to learn from you. And it was kind of a similar situation to like Heidi from Hendrix Churchill, where I just didn't know anything. And I can text a picture to and be like, this is a dumb question, but dot, dot, dot. And so she kind of was that person for me. And she helped me like figure out what plants yeah. would be good, what season, how to prevent cabbage worms that are like, now I like literally, I'm like, that's a cabbage worm hole on my kale versus, oh, a bunny ate that one because Tao forgot to close the door. But that's kind of how it got started. And it's very addictive. Like I literally now I'm like, wait, should I get like four more garden beds and like put it here? There's like one... <laughs> area, the sliver of sun that's not taken. So I'm like standing there, I'm touching the kale. I'm like rubbing the tomato leaves and like sniffing them. I'm like exclaiming about the scent of the base. I'm just like very enthusiastic about it. And I'm like really excited to just learn about it. Having observed like other New Yorkers, like out of their natural city habitat and in these kind of country areas around New York, like doing stuff like gardening, I think it does kind of tap into attributes of a New Yorker, like, because there's a lot of attention to detail and like, you know, weeding and like being a perfectionist Uh about things. But then also like it's in that it's relaxing, it just kind of takes your mind off work, whatever it is you're kind of thinking about, because you have to concentrate on it and be strategic as well. Yeah. And, you know, even rebels need to relax a bit and take a break from their rebellious nature. I want to ask you, what do you guys think your next acts of rebellion will be? Is it becoming master gardeners? I've been working in the advertising space as a creative director for the last three or four years. So I'm actually focusing 100% on the granola um, for the next portion of time. We'll see how long that is. So it's kind of somewhat of an act of rebellion, you know, leaving my comfort zone to kind of see where this ball of thread goes <laughs> and you know especially right now with the way things feel economy wise and other things it does feel like a little bit kind of jumping into the unknown 
I don't know what my next rebellious act would be. I think that going back to like the rebel mom thing, I just like encourage the women and the mothers in particular listening to remember to like make time for themselves and make time to discover new things. And you can do it like vis-a-vis like learning something new with the kids, right? Like gardening, but just trying to encourage parents to take some time and experience that joy of learning something new. All right. Are you guys ready for Never Have I Ever? Yes. I'm like, Tom, should we hold hands for this? <laughs> okay. I'm going to give you the prompt and then you just have to say whether or not you've done this thing. So the first one is, never have I ever cried while building Ikea furniture. Not Ikea furniture, but I think we've come close to crying when putting together, when we were, we were putting together that bassinet and we were watching like Squid Game at the same time. And it literally felt like a Squid Game challenge. <laughs> and like you literally had to stand outside and just like stare at the stars for a bit because you felt like you were about to have a nervous breakdown. All right. So I'm going to say that you have done that. Just yes. checking that one off. Okay. Never have I ever arranged my books by color. I know you guys are big readers. I'd love to hear your opinion on this. Okay. So I know that people are no longer saying chuggy or not really <laughs> saying basic either. I have done it. I like it. I think it's happy. Here's my philosophy on like rainbow anything or like decor If it makes you happy, it's fine. The kids like it. I don't think our bookshelf in the living room downstairs, they're not rainbow now, but they have been rainbow at one point. And it's like, it's pretty. I don't mind it. Do you, Tom? I haven't organized any books ever by color, but I did spend half a day once in New York. We have this big bookshelf that goes across the whole living room. So compartment by compartment, I organized it like British literature, American history, pop culture books, fashion. If you look at that bookshelf, it's not organized by color. I can tell you where every writer or every type of- Like a library. Writing, yes, it's organized like that. And it is very useful. Like when people come and stay, I can just kind of find the exact book I'm looking for and like give it to people with my dad often. Amazing. Okay, never have I ever looked up a friend's home price on Zillow, be honest. I've Um, definitely done that. You have done that? Mm -hmm. I have (laughs) done that when going to homes where it's just like mind-bogglingly, ridiculously over the top. Okay. Never have I ever fought with a significant other over a decor item. (laughs) Eva's face. I'm pretty hands-off when it comes to decor. Like I generally just kind of defer to Eva, similarly with wardrobe and attire. Was there an art piece maybe that you guys didn't agree on? I I mean, it definitely when Eva was setting up the garden, like it was kind of like nervous about what that would look like. It looks uh-huh. good. Don't you think it looks good? Yeah, but I think it looks great. So. Tom's like, yeah, but it, it, yeah, 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 it looks great. So it no, like I mean, no. <laughs> no, Tom I, very much like was not sold on the garden because there were two places I wanted to put it. I ended up putting it the place with more sun, but the garden is going to like, I mean, it just, it's so additive and like, look at the calm and joy it brings me. Have you ever seen me so calm? My ideal space is very minimal. It's really Mm -hmm. nothing in it. In one of the Bond movies recently, there was an image of his apartment and it was literally just an empty apartment, a leather (laughs) sofa and a glass of whiskey. And that is kind of my ideal apartment. Whereas is, Eva, Eva yeah. likes a lot of no, Eva likes I don't a like no, no. It's not that I like a lot of things, but it's like that ideal apartment is ideal in your mind. Who's picking up the socks left all over the house? That ideal apartment doesn't have socks, kind of left <laughs> caterpillar, like snake molting <clears throat> clothes all around the house. So, right. 
Bond's apartment probably has like a silent helper, like scurrying after him to pick up the socks. So if there is a kind of difference <laughs> in aesthetics between us, it is perhaps on that kind of eclecticism versus minimalism. Perhaps he was a little bit more on the eclecticism side and I'm a little bit more on uh-huh. the minimalism. I would say Tom, all he wants decor wise, he says the Bond analogy, but he's all he wants is like a big brown chair. A big brown Chesterfield style leather chair. Uh huh. Um, and a glass of whiskey. <laughs> and a glass of whiskey. And so we've never had a space where he can have like a man cave, or as they call it, but that's like all he wants. No, I, not I, really. We I don't love really... this space. I think Eva's done an amazing job. Like it looks beautiful. You feel very relaxed and inspired when you're here. You know, it's a creative space, kind of designed with, you know, to put you in that kind of flow creative state and it really does that when you get up you kind of drift downstairs you feel ethereal you look out of the window you see the water i didn't design the water but okay but it's amazing here when there's a snowstorm looking out of every window just like being in a snow globe so it's an amazing space and i could never have done it okay last one guys never have i ever lit a dessert scented candle never i don't like candles what i don't like candles I'll say it again. That's like scandalous, right? As a former beauty editor, this is kind of blowing my mind because you just get so many. I get so many. I give away so many. I like smelling candles. So sometimes I will literally get a candle, but I don't light them. Multiple reasons. A, young kids plus candles equals like a cautionary tale that you read about in a newspaper where like a house burns down because of like Mm -hmm. a five-year-old who took the candle and tried to do something with it, blah, blah, blah. B, River is at an age where you can like reach up to any kind of tall surface and grab something. So we have to be careful with candles and knives. And C, I like neutral scents. And so like I like to walk into a space and have like a hint of a smell, but like I don't like it to be overpowering. Lemon thyme, like thyme that's like the lemon variety smells so good. I love the smell. Well, tomato candles are really hot. Tomato candles smell amazing. And yeah. When you snap a tomato leaf off and you smell it, it's like that smell is to me the smell of that's like what fresh smells like. And so, but I still don't know that I would burn one. I would rather just go outside and like rub my face and hands all over the plants. Well, thank you guys so much. I really appreciate it. This is really fun. I was so excited to talk with you guys and I'm glad it all worked out. Yeah. Thank you, Julie. Thank you so much. When I found out that I was doing this podcast, my one and really only request in the whole process was that Shadi Al-Hindi, the head of IT at our parent company, Recurrent, read the closing credits. And I know that might sound funny, but Shadi has a voice that I swear could sue the 100 crying babies. And I know this because sometimes when my computer's not working, I am that crying baby. And just hearing him talk instantly lowers my blood pressure. You will hear what I mean in just a second. I'm so excited to share Shadi and his beautiful voice with the world. Take it away, Shadi. Hello, I'm Shadi Al-Hindi, and contrary to popular belief, I'm not a voiceover actor, yet at least. But I am the vice president of technology at Recurrent, Domino's parent company. Julie asked me to read the credits to the podcast you've just heard. I blindly said yes, so I think that makes me a rebel too. And here we are. Design Time, The Rebellious Ones is hosted by Julie Fadnell and produced by Ali Alquiza, with special thanks to Lindsay Mather, Britt Ashcraft, Claire Urshishon, Michaela Klein, Kim Gray, Lindsay DeSimone, 
and Maria Luna. Our chief content officer is Kate Berry. Our theme music is by the talented Alex Weinstein. And I'm Shadi Al Hindi, Vice President of Technology at Recurrent Ventures. If you like this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. See you all next week, right here on Design Time, the Rebellious Ones.